You're listening to the Small Biz Ahead podcast, brought to you by The Hartford. All right, everybody, and welcome to uh, another episode from Small Biz Ahead podcast. My name is Gene Marks. I'm joined by Nita Cronus. John, hello. Hey, how's it going? It's been a, for for those of you who have been following our journey, uh, Gene and I have been together virtually all day. So on hour six or seven. Yeah, I agree. And we were supposed to do this live and in person together, and and hopefully the next time we do a series of these interviews, we'll do live. But the uh, the streaming platform has been working well. We've been talking to some great people. Yeah, for sure. And it's an interesting series of conversations. If this is your first or first of a few, um, you might have known we have a, a theme of Money Week. So here's where we kind of learn about different ways to maybe access capital and funding. And excited to kind of have this conversation because without preparation, you probably pursue none of it. Yep, that sounds great. So let's bring Andrea on right now. And um, I'm going to let her introduce herself. But just very briefly, Andrea Harrington is our guest today, who is a, uh, a CPA and a partner at Fiondella, Mylone and La Saracena, which which goes, everybody just wants you to know this. It's They refer to themselves as FML, which I absolutely <laughs> love because as a, uh, you know, accounting profession, I, I hear that a lot among fellow accountants. So <laughs> Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Um, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and, and also about FML? Sure, love to. Um, thank you for having me both, uh, Gene and John. Happy sure. to be here. Um, so FML, um, <clears throat> which we love because it gives us lots of uh, traction with the, the college kids when we're recruiting, it has been around for about 19 years, um, mm-hmm. a firm that was formed by three entrepreneurial partners who were um, at Ernst & Young at the time and saw an opportunity in the market. Um, and, and since that time has grown from, from those three entrepreneurs to about 85 individuals. So it's been a, a pretty great trajectory. I've been with the firm for almost 16 years. I'm on the tax and advisory side. So I deal narrowly with middle market, closely held businesses. Um, I like to work with owner operators. They're passionate about their business. I'm passionate about being their business advisor. That's where I come from. That is great. Um, we, we have a lot. I mean, I don't know if you figure this out just by if you look at this whole picture here. I am also a CPA, right? Is that a big surprise, <laughs> right? So, yeah. And and we've been, you know, as John, I said, when we first started this, that we've been talking with people uh, related to money. It's a week about money and, and financing and capital and all that. But, you know, you, you can't even go about raising money and, and, and growing your business without making sure that your books are in orders and your finances are in order. And so this is just going to be like a, a financial conversation, you know, mm-hmm. you and me. Uh, some of the things that we, you know, we recommend to our clients, some of the best practices, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to start with this, you know, so you know, you do love when you said with, you know, small and mid-market clients or whatever. So, you know, Angel, what, um, you know, if you were running your own business, tell me about some of the numbers, the, the metrics that would be really important to make sure that you've truly got a pulse on your cash flow. Give me some of your favorite, favorite ideas here. Well, so the first thing that we always advise people to do is to make sure that they have a budget. Right. Um, You have to understand your cash needs, your inflows and your outflows. You have to understand what's going to support your business. And if you're, let's say you're all in, you're entrepreneurial, you're just starting out, you don't have other sources of income. You need to understand how that business is also going to support your life. Can you pay your mortgage? Can you, you know, pay your kids tuitions that you have to do um, additionally? And I'm Italian, so you'll see a lot of this. So the first step really is a, a budget. Cash right. in, cash out. Cash is king. It's a cliche for a reason. Um, make sure that you understand 
what your spend is going to be. Are you renting a facility? Are you, you have built, you know, is it a product or a service? Are you hiring people? You need to understand all of the costs that go into that. And at what point are you going to need to look outside for capital, um, either from the bank or from investors or from, from friends and family? Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. So the um, you know we talk about a budget, which of course is important, um, and every business really should have a budget, regardless of the size. Even if it's uh, in summary form, you got to know what's you know what, what your plans are for the year. You know, what's the difference between a budget and a forecast? And do you have clients forecasting on a regular basis? Um, you know, at some point, you do need to look at a forecast. A forecast um, has a lot more variables and uncertainty to it, of course, because mm-hmm. you're looking a little further down the road. When I think mm-hmm. of a budget, I'm thinking of the next 12 months. Right. You know, what What is going to happen in the next 12 months? And want to compare it to what actually happens to see where my fluctuations are. When I'm forecasting, I'm looking maybe five years down the road um, for that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, it's funny because I've been going back and forth about that with with a lot of my clients as well, um, mainly because I don't know if you found the same thing, but like but my, my best clients themselves, they have an idea of where their cash is going over the next 90 days. You know, I mean, they you know, they do the budget for the year, but then they're like, OK, well, you know, budgets change the day after you finalize them, you know, but the forecast is sort of like this fluctuating document that you can really rely on to see where your, you know, where your money is going to go. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you, if you had any, um, any advice for people for at least projecting out what their cash flow is going to be. Um, and I'm going to get back to some of the other metrics in a minute, but I'm just kind of curious about your thoughts on projecting cash flow, some of the thoughts they should be doing. Yeah, I think it's important to, to try to identify what your fixed versus your variable costs are. Right. Right? The things that you know you have to pay regardless of the cash that's coming in, right. whether that's rent or um, you know employees if you have them, that sort of thing. So your fixed costs are really important to know and to project out. And then you want to understand your, your variable costs of doing business that are going to move with your revenue and the right. services or product that you provide. So it's important to just map those out on the budget. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Okay, so let's get back to some metrics, though. So uh, we did talk about having a budget, you know, which goes into your business plan. I uh, talked briefly about a forecast. What other what other numbers do you think are really important that a business owner should be keeping track of, you know, almost on a daily basis or a weekly basis? I mean, I keep going back to cash because you just you can't run a business without cash and understanding cash flow, and you don't want to put yourself in a position where you haven't looked far enough down the road to when that capital raise needs to happen and you're out of money. Because mm-hmm. if you're out of money, you're out of business. So it's just really critical, you know, from a daily basis at the beginning to really watch your cash burn, uh, to, to know that, okay, in six months, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be out of money. So I need to start thinking about that now. Right. So we, we look really closely at that with clients. How about bankers? I mean, we've been, we've been talking, John and I, you know, throughout the day about, uh, you know, with, with potential financiers. Now you're coming on the side of the client, you're, you know, and you're as a financial advisor to your clients. So when you when you when a client comes to you and says, we're going to go out and, and look for some financing, what advice do you give them as to you know, what numbers they should have ready, what they should be prepared to show a potential lender? So a lender's going to want to see financial statements. So if you've got a business that's got some level of operation already, they're going to want to see it. An, an, an internal may be okay. Um, they may want something that's on a CPA letterhead, depending on the amount of financing that you're looking for or the type of financing that you're looking for. But they're going to want to see something that um, looks like a traditional balance sheet, income statement, cash flow. They want to know that you understand the numbers behind your business. And oftentimes, if you're starting out, 
you know, and even in, even in, even in mature businesses, there's a good possibility that you'll need to put in a personal guarantee on the loan. It's just the reality of it. Yeah. They also ask for things like debt maintenance as, as well. And they have mm-hmm. covenants, right? Right. So they may want you to have a certain debt to equity ratio or certain or guarantee a certain amount of cash, or they may attach certain assets of the of the business. It may be collateralized by the assets of the business. Okay, fair enough. Um, I know you're on the tax side, not necessarily on the on the attestation side, but can you talk a little bit about um, you know the importance of having a financial statement done by an accountant and maybe the the differences between the the types of you know accountants reports or compilation or review and audit what a business owner might need to know about that. Sure, sure. So there are three basic levels, as you've mentioned, of financial statements that an accountant can issue for you. Um, a compilation is the the lowest form. A compilation provides no form of assurance. It's simply um, we're taking your numbers and putting them on our letterhead. You know, with certain processes and procedures that we do to, to do that. Uh, the next level is a review where we're going to look at your numbers and we're going to do um, an analysis. We'll run analytics, fluctuations. Does it look like it makes sense? Um, and then an audit provides the, the highest level of assurance that we've kicked the tires on all the numbers. There's It's um, appropriately presented in conformity with generally accepted accounting principles um, and we'll provide an opinion on it. All right. Yeah, that's great. Usually I, I always joke about how, uh, you know, the review is, you know, you're asking questions and then you take the responses as long as they're reasonable. And that's part of your analysis. And audit is when you ask the questions, you get the responses and you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's that sure. extra level of difference. Um, Andrew, when you look at a financial statement of a client, what type of red flags, what type of things could you, would you potentially see in a financial statement that you'd be like, okay, this, this might mean, you know, this could be potential trouble, or this was an indication that a a company might not be in great financial shape. What are some of the things that would jump out at you? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're looking at it and there's a history of losses, um, Mm -hmm. and that's not unusual when you're starting out, of course, you know, there's, there's an investment to beginning a business. So if history of losses isn't necessarily indicative that there's a problem, but it, you want to understand how that's going to turn and when that's going to turn. Um, and you want to look at how it's capitalized. It's important to see how much debt versus equity and, and what the plan is for that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and John, I'm going to turn it over to you soon, but I, I just have a couple of, I'm just, I'm just beating Andrew up with all these <laughs> questions that are, I, they're so important to me as a business owner. And, you know, it's just, let me ask, we're talking about getting your finances in order, Andrew. So what do you recommend as far as having a good financial system in place in your business? You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, tell me when you walk into a client, what makes you think like, ah, these guys have their act together. You know, they've got a, they've got a good financial system in place. Tell me what, what, what makes you think that? Sure. I mean, the, the, the gold standard is if they're using some sort of a software package that will assist them in properly, um, reporting their finances. Um, for smaller businesses and emerging businesses, we, we think QuickBooks is a great solution. It's, it's mm-hmm. easy to use, easy to navigate, and the online function allows you know, mobility, which is nice. Um, also, if you walk into maybe a more mature company, if you see a segregation of responsibility, so you've got an accounting department where someone collects the, the revenue and someone else you know, reconciles that, that's an important function as well as you become a more mature company. Yeah, you know, you know, I would think that if you you as a business can pass your accountant's sniff test as to a good control environment, a good financial environment, then you know, you're going to be in good shape to then go to a potential lender and have them feel that same level of comfort. You mentioned segregation of duties as well. Give us some thoughts about requiring vacations. We're talking about controlling cash flow. 
from an internal control standpoint, do you guys ever, have you ever bumped, whenever I see fraud cases, it's mm-hmm. always because, you know, some bookkeeper didn't take vacation for 10 years and it turned <laughs> out she was driving around in a Maserati on the weekends, you know? So, does matter? Do you have thoughts about, you know, about vacations and other internal controls that a business should have? I mean, I think, you know, it's, I think it's important just in life to, to, to disconnect. And if someone's not, then, then clearly, you know, there's maybe some underlying issue to that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, other internal controls, um, really just making sure that there is a review process, an internal review process that, um, you know, the signer, it, it, maybe there's multiple levels of signature on certain disbursements. So if it's over a certain dollar amount, you've got multiple sign-offs. That's another important one, especially as companies grow. And just making sure you've got a good accounting system that will hopefully automate that approval process for you as well to, to make it more efficient. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, John, I'm gonna yeah, I, I'm gonna turn it over to you for the time being. I still have more questions, but um, and I hope we can cover. I don't know if you're planning on asking. Andrew's a tax person, so. I don't know if you're going to get to that. It's what well, taxes are only what, like 20, 25% of our income. No big deal. <laughs> like our biggest expense. So the whole conversation about money this week. So yeah. I think it is relevant, but anyway, John, go ahead. Yeah. I actually want to probably start on, on everyone's favorite word that you said is audit. So mm-hmm. Gina and I joke, cause I, I, I'm a restaurant person by blood. It never fully gets out of me, but I also have um, served a fair amount of time in different nonprofit organizations and, mm-hmm. and on some leadership teams and, what I always kind of find interesting is in, I think, five different organizations at about the same point in their maturity. So usually around year two or three, you start to look for kind of grant money that's unrestricted and, and mm-hmm. kind of big, right? And the first thing is like, do you have a full audit of your books? Mm-hmm. And these tend to be organizations that are run by people with passion. They don't really have a ton of uh, tax expertise or bookkeeping expertise and and the ones I've touched specifically have to do with kind of like arts culture, you know, some kind of uh, like social justice work. But can you talk a little bit about like what an audit really entails? Because the the kind of crossover to me is I find that most nonprofits are actually small businesses who end up in this spot. And just kind mm-hmm. of knowing our audience is going to touch both. I think it'd be interesting just to kind of give them a little bit of a background on what a full audit really looks like. So an audit typically is going to look at your balance sheet, right? It's going to start with your balance sheet and it's going to say, is, is cash valid and what's the support for it? Is accounts receivable valid? Where's the subsidiary listing? So it's going to go down all of the aspects of your balance sheet to make sure that all of the there's validity to all of the assets and liabilities and that everything's been properly recorded. So it's going to there. We would request a lot of underlying data, the support for how the balance sheet was built. And then from that, the profit and loss statement falls out. And then we'll do you know a review of the income and expenses on the profit and loss statement and presentation as well. Yeah, I think it's, you know, and I think you hit on a good point there is you're requiring a lot of kind of background information, you know, and supporting documentation. So I think it just goes, especially if you're working in anything that has to do with like fundraising or or kind of these projects that could become more of an organization one day, like save every receipt, right? And understand every event that you're using and and everyone you're reaching out to, because you might have to answer for, for something you didn't touch years from now in order to kind of like take your world to the next level. So so definitely an interesting one. And I think the other kind of thing in my noggin right now is really around for less mature businesses or maybe for emerging businesses, right? Like they they want to kind of think about how to get their finances in order so they can secure money, but maybe they have really no history. So are there kind of like best practices or things from like a personal 
perspective they can bring in. I think about like when you're trying to build your credit, right? You want to try and get a credit card and sometimes it's a store card and then maybe get your first car loan. Like, are there steps a person can do to set them up to look or, um, or be more favorable from like a business finance kind of lens? Sure. So I think a business plan is critical. You know, we talked about budgets and forecasting and, and just a business plan to present to, to a bank and to pursue, um, the financing that's provided by the Small Business Loan Administration is always important for emerging businesses. Um, and, on, and sometimes you got to go to friends and family and, and those close to you and say, here's my idea and, and get support from them as well. Do those things kind of like help you look more favorable to more kind of, um, you know, large scale lenders or, or as you're kind of thinking about taking your next step? Like, are there things you could do if you are making personal loans or kind of taking personal loans mm-hmm. from friends and family that, you know, someone was to come to a, a firm like yours and say, like, I want to kind of get in shape for the next level of lending, or I want to kind of think about like organizing my books that they should really keep in mind. So it's not just, you know, a, a check that gets lost. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think documenting the, the um, funds flow is important. Documenting if you've got friends and family that are investing or loaning you money, having a, a, a document around that having a repayment schedule maybe around that if it's a loan shows credibility, I think, to banks. And even the larger banks have small business groups. So right. don't be afraid to go to a large bank because they're, they'll have a group that's that's designed to help you um, and they want to help you get um, a business off the ground because it's a great investment for them. And are there common mistakes you see that some small businesses make or kind of like recurring themes where you're like, if they only would have known before they called me the first time? that seem to be overlooked as people kind of start to think about how they want to keep their chart of accounts or kind of manage their finances eternally? So, you know, again, coming from the tax world, we, we look a lot at um, legal structure. So a lot of companies don't, don't necessarily think about that, but you want to make sure you're organized in a fashion that's going to help you grow. Um, do you want to be an LLC, a limited liability company that is maybe easy to bring on investors? Do you want to select S corporation for, for a different, you know, liability insulation? Um, and there were restrictions with that. So we look a lot at the structure and the plan for the for the continued growth and ultimate exit strategy, because we we really like to be involved with the business, you know, from its emergence to, you know, the ultimate end game. And sometimes that's a hockey stick and sometimes that's real, you know, slow, steady growth. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think, you know, and Jean did mention, you know, you're, you're kind of the tax professional. So, you know, I think depending on where you live in the country or where you operate, there can be very different opinions on tax, especially when it comes to business tax. You know, what are your kind of thoughts there? Is it, you know, you hear a lot about people who might live in, you know, maybe they're in the state of Washington, but they're opening their LLC in Nevada and, you know, they're kind of operating in other states. Like, how do you kind of advise people to think about like what their companies are, where they operate, how they're formed, mm-hmm. because I don't know that it always has to be geographically tied to where the person lives, right? Yeah, you, you just have to be careful with that because states are going to um, impose um, an income tax or a nexus standard, standard on you if you're organized in Delaware, which is a popular place to organize because it's a it's an easy state to organize and a lot of LLCs are set up there. But you're actually operating in Connecticut you're liable for Connecticut taxes. Right. If you're providing services to a customer in California, you know, California looks at are the, is the benefit derived there? And they're going to want a little piece of the, of that apple as well. So you just, you have to be aware of the fact that just where you're incorporated or organized doesn't dictate your state tax compliance requirements or liabilities. It's really, it's broader than that. And it's state by state. Right. And it's not just your kind of general, like op, operational fees and kind of like your employment tax. Like I think a lot about sales and use and people mm-hmm. even kind of like 
where your customers are and if that requires what you need to pass through to them. And I think sometimes this gets a little bit lost, but it's also more and more interesting, I think, as people are thinking in kind of a more hybrid way, right? So I think post-pandemic, you know, even just workforces can be distributed and even for mm -hmm. small companies, how people are selling their, their goods and services has changed a lot. So it feels like it makes sense to, to get advice on that, you know, if you're in a world that's kind of probably not not as brick and mortar as it used to. Be. Yeah, if you've, got, if you've got employees that are working remotely, like you just distributed workforce, John, that you just mentioned, um, Andrea, you know, I mean, you as an employer need to make sure that you're responsible for filing taxes in the state that the employee might be working from um, if you are, you know, if, if, if the employee is resident in that state. So there's a whole bunch of this whole COVID has brought up all these work from home issues that were much less before. And now they, they should be front of mind. And this can cost. This can cost cash. Right. Definitely. Definitely. And like I said, every state um, has the ability to make kind of their own rules around things. Um, and the remote workforce in some states was if you typically worked in New York. Right. But you went remote for COVID or other reasons. We don't care. You still need to source that to New York because that's that person's primary place of business for income tax purposes. Sure. For withholding purposes, you might have to withhold in the person's state where they're working. It's there's it's a very tangled web. Um, so getting advice on all the different components, sales tax um, can be extremely confusing and have different rules across all the different states. It's always good and a, and a lower threshold for requirements to file than income tax. If you've got employees, payroll and withholding taxes and unemployment insurance come into play and can be very confusing and difficult to navigate on both the federal and state level. Right. And I think especially now, even with like paid leave, right, that's a, mm -hmm. a conversation that isn't going away. And, mm -hmm. and where are you eligible? And is that really the state of the employer or the employee or both? <laughs> and how do you kind of build your own policy as an employer if you have employees in different states? But it's definitely an interesting world. But I think considerations to make, especially if you are kind of in this wanting to grow your business or maybe you're thinking about starting one, you know, is there a place that's more favorable to do that? And, mm -hmm. you know, or is there a way to build your business because of where you're located to make sure that you're not incurring unexpected cost? Correct. Yep, definitely. Andrea, um, you know, this, this conversation is about getting your finances in order too. So uh, from a tax perspective, I mean, what do you wish every one of your clients were doing when it comes to organizing their finances so that you can do your job as best as possible, which means advising your clients on how to minimize their tax exposure. What should we be doing? So you want to just make sure you're keeping detailed records because you have to remember the burden of proof um, for any deduction is on the taxpayer. So if you walk into an IRS audit, which, you know, hey, it happens, and you don't have documentation or support for an expense that you've taken, even if it's a perfectly legitimate expense, then you may not be able to take that deduction. Um, and it's unfortunate in those cases. So, so keep the records, keep the mileage logs. Um, I know it's a pain. There are apps that will help you do that, you know, mm -hmm. when you're traveling. So just it's very important to keep records for, you know, record retention for seven, sometimes 10 years. Yeah. And if you don't do that, I guess it's uh, FML, right, John? <laughs> <laughs> well put. I've been waiting this whole conversation. <laughs> well put. Awesome. Well, Andre, I mean, kind of thinking on that too, aside from detailed records, are there best practices when you do own a business that you could kind of approach from a tax perspective? Like, does it make sense to kind of try and get ahead and pay estimated things quarterly? You know, what should you kind of say so so someone doesn't end up at your desk with like the shoebox, right? And be like, here's <laughs> everything that I've ever done and two things in that are maybe valid, you know? Sure, sure. 
Definitely. So, so at FML and, and what I really strive to do is I'm, we try not to be that one stop. Here's my shoebox once a year type of shop. Yeah. It's, we want to talk with you regularly as you have questions on your business and certainly quarterly, because if you are a business owner, you should be making quarterly payments. The IRS and the other taxing authorities want, want that money on a regular, even basis. Um, and there are certain safe harbors that we can help you with as your business is growing. So that it's based on, on the prior year and not the growth year, perhaps, but it's good to have a conversation with your accountant much more than once a year. Yeah. I feel like you can never discount the, um, the value of a relationship with a good lawyer or a good accountant who knows your Agreed. business. Awesome. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for joining us. I think this, you know, is, is a helpful reminder to folks about the importance of being prepared and really kind of staying organized and on top of your books. I think especially the past couple of years with the emergence of so many grant programs and new funding applications and, mm-hmm. and sources for businesses, it, it kind of made everyone relook at their, you know, their ability to answer these questions quickly and, and processes that they might want to implement. So if, you know, if ever again, they need to, to look for access to capital, they can do so efficiently and really appreciate your insight on these topics. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Andrew. You were great. I'm sure we'll see you again. Great. Thank you. Thank you.